Well, hello. Welcome to the On Being Christian podcast. This is podcast number 47. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can get a hold of us at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H frontbaptistchurch.com. You can send me an email directly from that website or just call me directly to the office here at the church. I welcome both. I try to get back to as many of the questions as I can. Um, Right now, folks, I'm looking out over a beautiful scene. Usually the Wasatch Front or the front of the Wasatch Mountains is very visible to me. But it is totally obstructed right now. We are in the middle of a, a beautiful snowfall. Now, I know that's a subjective term, but it's one of those snowfalls. The snowflakes are very large and very, very light and, and fluffy, and they're falling very, very slow. And so it's just a very picturesque, a very calming scene. Now, I know that most likely that's going to change a great deal when it's time to shovel. I realize that, but for now... I'm just enjoying this beautiful picture. I'd like to talk to you today on on this podcast number 47. I'd like to talk to you about the fallacy of familiarity. Now, familiarity is one of those things that sometimes we seek. Sometimes we take a lot of comfort in it. Sometimes we take too much comfort in it, especially when it applies to being a Christian. Sometimes we can get comfortable with things that we know well and Concerning our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is very comforting, and there's nothing that I'm trying to take away from that fact, but sometimes I think we might be a little too comfortable in it, all right? And so if you go to Mark chapter 6, we'll talk about this fallacy of familiarity. There are times that being familiar with a group can lead to acceptance, and there are other times when that same familiarity can lead to rejection. Many times when it leads to acceptance, it's not so good, spiritually speaking, and at times when it leads to rejection, it's because there's an incorrect focus on the one being rejected or the one bringing the message. And so if we we go to Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we'll take a look at just some some thoughts about this idea of familiarity. It starts in verse 1, chapter 6 of Mark, verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and, and of Judah and Simon, or Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do more, no mighty works, or no mighty work, excuse me, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the village teaching. So here we have Jesus Christ going home, quote-unquote, going back to where he's from um, on this earth during his earthly ministry, 
and there's a there's an immediate situation that develops. There's immediate um, separation between the concept of who the bigger picture of the world is learning who Jesus Christ is and who those who grew up with him or, or those who saw him grow up among them are prepared to accept who he is. And we see this idea here of familiarity become something that restricts people versus something that enables people. The first thing I want to show you, just the first point I want to look at, is that concerning the fallacy of familiarity, it was not that it was his home that was the problem, it's that it was their home as well. And so we look at the first three verses, the Bible says, you find the phrase, he, he came into his own country. Verse 1, and he came and he came into his own country, um, and his disciples followed him, which was something that I'm sure would have been different, that he's coming home and now he's got these people that are following him. And then it goes on to say, that uh, their response to him coming home and saying the things that he was saying is, is not this the carpenter, the son of, and they give the names, and the brother of, and they give the names. And then they said, are not his sisters here with us? The picture is that Jesus Christ showed up with his disciples. Now, that's the very first thing you see in verse 1. He went out from thence and came into his country, and his disciples follow him. So when he went home... Uh, quote unquote, back to where he grew up, to to the land where he was raised. The first thing that I'm sure that they noticed was that this guy who left by himself is showing back up with disciples. That's interesting turn of events. That's not normal. And so he shows up, his disciples are following him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished. Okay, so now we have another turn of events. He's going to teach in the synagogue. I can just see it. The guy who grew up there goes away, he comes back, and they're going to give him a shot. Of course, you know, we can, we'll come listen to what you have to say. And so he's going to go to the synagogue and he's going to teach. And the first thing that was the result of his teaching is that the people who knew him, quote unquote, thought they knew him, were familiar with him, are now astonished. They're astonished at him, saying, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this, which is given unto him, and even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? And then they immediately looked for why this was so uncomfortable to them, and they came away with the fact that, listen, he's nothing more than a carpenter. He's the son of people we know. He's the brother of people we know, and his sisters are here with us. We see them every day. So he showed up with his disciples, and who he is now is not who he is when he left or who he was when he left. Although in reality, who he is, however, is exactly who he's always been. Nonetheless, we see an immediate refusal to accept him as anything other than how they have defined him from, for the past three decades. Because he is them, quote unquote, and they are him, except that's never been true. That's never been true. But for the perspective of, of their limited view, this is someone who grew up with us. This is the carpenter, which makes him the carpenter's son. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. Why are these men following him? 
Why are what are these words he's saying? These doctrines he's preaching? These astonishing things he's saying? They immediately were uncomfortable, and the reason they were uncomfortable is because not because Jesus Christ was behaving differently than he had anywhere else that he had gone, except this was their home as well as his, and he had grown up among them. They watched him, and they weren't about to just turn over and give him the accolades that he had been potentially receiving from other places. If we want to look at a couple other verses on this, Matthew chapter 12, if I jump down to verse 46 and read through the end through verse 50 there, the Bible says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. The one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them that told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now that's very interesting. This is Jesus' family as defined by Jesus. You see, the direction of a man who has been sent This seems to be an easier idea to swallow for those who hadn't known him first. So Jesus Christ said, listen, those who are my family, my brethren, my mother, my my direct kin, are those who are going to follow my words as they've been given to me by by God. That's what Jesus Christ constantly throughout his life on earth, throughout his ministry, constantly said, I am here to do the will of my Father which sent me. And he said to those men, those who do the will of my Father as I'm doing the will of my Father, are they not my brethren? Are they not my, my, my sisters, my kin? Now, that's something that people had been at some level willing to accept, except for the people who grew up with him. Because they said, but wait a minute, we know your mother. We know your brother. We know your kin. We know you. You're a carpenter. Your sisters are here among us. Who do you think you are? You leave, you show up with these disciples saying these astonishing things as if you're better than us, when what really was the problem wasn't who Jesus was, it was that they knew Jesus when he was something else, and they weren't about to acknowledge his advancement. This, folks, this is such a <clears throat> this is such interesting to me. Jesus Christ never behaved differently. He never became someone different. He was always Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, the Son of God. He always behaved that way, but when he started to vocalize it, that was a problem. I have some idea, and I don't, I don't mean that in the way that it's going to sound, but I, I have some concept of familiarity. I, I was born and raised in one church. I went from kindergarten to 12th grade in one church. I left for the Marine Corps. I didn't get saved till I was 15. I came back after my service in the Marine Corps, got my bachelor's and my master's in one church. I married my wife there. I had the funerals for both of my parents there. My children were born there. My children went to school in the same school I grew up in until the Lord, uh, through a series of events, 
had called my myself, my family out here to Salt Lake City, Utah, to um, to start this church, Wasatch Front Baptist Church, with the backing of the church that I'm from. Okay, <clears throat> having grown up in one place, when the Lord made it clear to me which he had made it clear to me a long time before I accepted it. I, I fought it for a long time that he wanted me to be in the ministry. There was a certain uh, section of people that thought, wait a minute, you are nothing more than the kid we've always known. We, we watched you grow up. We watched you behave like a hooligan. We, some of these folks, I grew up with their children. And, and I was, to them, nothing more than just one of their kids. And um, there was a shift. There was a change. Now, it was accepted with grace, but I understand that there was difficulty because when the Lord said to me, you're going to be something different, you're going to do something different, there were, the people who saw that first, the people who recognized that first, were not the people that knew me. It was the people that didn't know me. And if you put that into the context here of the life of Jesus Christ, the people that knew him had a problem, had, had a strong obstacle in, in accepting who he was. Because here he comes back and his disciples are following him and he goes into the synagogue and he's preaching and the things that he's saying and the things that he's preaching are astonishing. And these disciples are following him and the people that knew him from youth said, wait a minute, who are you? We know your mother, we know your father, we know your brothers, your sisters are here with us now. Who do you think you are? You're a carpenter. You see the same thing in Matthew 12. Jesus answers this idea when he says, no, my family is those who obey who I obey. My brethren, they, they, those who accept the, God's command for their life, those who accept Christ, repent, ask for forgiveness, live the Christian life, those are my kin, those are my brethren. And the world, many people within that area were willing to accept that, but not the people who knew him. If I jump over to John chapter 15, I'll jump down to verse 9, 9 through 15. The Bible says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater loveth no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servants knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So here we go. Jesus Christ very clearly says, those who obey my Father through the words that he's telling me to tell you, those are my friends. Those are my family members. And that's what he's saying in the synagogue when he goes home. And that's what was being rejected by the people who knew him best. Because they said, wait a minute, who are you talking about? Your father. We know your father. He's a carpenter. Jesus wasn't talking about Joseph. He's talking about God the Father. And his ministry was nothing more than the verbalization of what God the Father told him to say. He makes that very clear all throughout his ministry. Those who know you best sometimes have trouble letting you become 
the best version of yourself when it's better than what they have ever been. I run into this sometimes with, with fathers and mothers. Sometimes fathers and mothers or mentors fail to grasp the reality of what their job actually is. So I'll just use myself as an example. My job with my two sons and my daughter is to invest myself so thoroughly and completely into loving them and teaching them and instructing them that at some point I realize I've worked myself right into irrelevance, that they'll be smarter than me, more effective than me, more faithful than me, lovers of people more than me. And at that point, my job will not be to hold them down so that I can remain in the position of control and admiration, that I can remain on top, but rather to step down and become a follower of those who Christ advances past me. I think sometimes churches struggle with longevity because the ones who are sitting in the big chair never comprehend that those who coming are coming behind them, their, their job, but given to them by God, is to become more than they are. In fact, that's the definition of success, is that those who you have invested yourself in take your vision further than you ever could. But most of the time, we really have a problem when those coming behind us become more valuable than we are, become more steadfast, more wise, stronger, more loyal, more faithful, more complete, more learned, more uh, entire. We have a problem with that because we feel like, well, no, we should be, we should be at the top. No, folks, sometimes the familiarity we have with those below us restricts those below us. Sometimes when we come to Christ, we need to realize, though we may have known him for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, I got saved when I was 15. I've been saved 25 years this year, 25 years, and I've uh, been serving the Lord in the ministry I've been preaching the Word of God in some way or another for about, about probably 12, 15 years now. And what does that mean? What does that Does that mean that I have some kind of connection with Christ that makes it okay for me to be less reverential of Him than I once was? No. In fact, if I'm doing this right, then I should become more reverential. The more, quote-unquote, familiar I get with the Lord— the more reverential I should get. You've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. That's only secularly speaking. That doesn't apply to the Christian realm. The more familiar I get with the Word of God, the more reverential I should treat God and Jesus Christ. The more I uncover the truths and the doctrines and the the jewels and the value of the Word of God, the more reverential I should treat God the author of the Word of God, God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. I shouldn't let being familiar with him create some kind of idea that my experience as a Christian can run the show. 
And so in this way, familiarity breeds contempt because, number one, it was not that it was his home that was the problem. It was that it was their home as well. Sometimes we set our little things out in our life and we settle ourselves in and the Lord comes in and makes himself at home and we say, Lord, wait a minute, this is my space. Well, if I'm going to give the Lord my life, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the Lord my life, which means he's now the Lord of my life. He's in charge. He's running the show. He's calling the shots. It doesn't matter how familiar I may or may not be. Understand that it is not that you become better than other people. If that's you, in your obedience to God, you answer for a greater level of responsibility than those who know you or knew you when it was different. Okay, So in my own life, in the place where the Lord has me now, I'm answering for a higher level of responsibility than, say, I was when I was a church member and had friends that were very familiar with me. You'll see that, and I'm not trying to compare myself, but you'll see that when people who knew me back then come to see me now, there's a difference. I answer for a different thing. It's not my thing, it's the Lord's thing, and the Lord told me what to do uh, through uh, submission and obedience, through the Word of God. I'm not telling you I've got some uh, new revelation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that in obedience to the Word of God, I'm serving, I'm very confident exactly where he put me. And familiarity with once with, with who I once was has nothing to do with who the Lord wants me to be now. Now that's an external thing. Let's make it internal. Trying to always stay faithful to who you once were is not the way to honor who the Lord wants you to be in the future. The Christian life is lived in forward motion, not in continually going backward. It doesn't mean you're better than people. It means that if you're doing your job right, your responsibility before God will increase. That's just the way it is. And if I'm going to be held down by the familiarity of the past, then I'm going to take away from God what he wants me to do. <clears throat> it's an interesting thought. How we can use familiarity, familiarity, how we can use it to try to lower the authority of, of in this picture, of God himself. They said, you're the carpenter. We know your brother. We know your mother. We know your, we, your sisters are, are here with us. And Jesus Christ said, no, no, my brethren are those who obey the voice of my father in heaven. So very clear differentiation in the picture there. Let's look at the second point. So number one, under the fallacy of familiarity, it was not that it was his home that was the problem. It was that it was their home as well. Number two, it was not the wisdom that was the problem. It was that it was coming from Jesus. That was the real problem. If I go back to Mark chapter 6, 1 through 3, it says, and he went out from them and came unto his own country and his own disciples, or says his disciples followed him. And when he, when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished. It says his disciples followed him. He began to teach many hearing him were astonished saying from whence hath this man, these things and what wisdom is this, which is given unto him that such mighty works are wrought by his hands. And the Bible says they were offended 
boy, that's, that's about where we are today. Everybody's offended. Everyone's triggered, offended. Notice that it was not necessarily the truth and the wisdom and the power that was offending them, but rather that the truth and the wisdom and the power for, was coming from Jesus Christ. That was more offensive to them than the actual things. And you can find this in situations of familiarity. When someone steps up and takes the role that God has given them to fulfill in their life, and the power that they have, the, the wisdom that they have because of devotion and study and God's hand on their life, it very clearly marks them as different. And the world that knew or knows you best, quote-unquote, isn't really ready to accept that this wisdom, this power, this devotion is such a good thing. Having been saved at 15, there were people in my life that had expected me to act a certain way, and after salvation, those things had changed. Furthermore, once I accepted Christ's call on my life, once I accepted God's call on my life to serve as a full-time preacher, someone in the ministry, there was things that had to change in my life with respect to relationships with men that are still my friends. I, I, I love them very much. But I had to leave. I had to go. I had to go away from home. I had to do... I had to do what the Lord wanted me to do. And so where I am now versus who I am when I go back to, quote, unquote, my home, people that know me best, same thing here. The Lord said he left. He went. He got. He, he um, spent 40 days and 40 nights after his baptism in the wilderness, and he came out and began his earthly ministry, and he went and he started to call people to him. His disciples are following him. He's doing miracles. He's doing uh, wonderful works. He's uh, saving people. He's building something very, very clear. It's changing the world in real time. And he goes home after having started that ministry, and they said, who do you think you are? They were offended, not because of what he was saying, but because of it, the fact that it was him who was saying it, this power and all of these things, they were offended. The word offended means to scandalize or to trip and stumble. They were tripping. They were stumbling into this reality. The, the word offended is apostasy or displeasure. They were very displeased. They were very offended. They were very triggered at who Jesus Christ had become because he had become clear to everyone who was watching more than them. Mm. And they were too familiar with him for that not to be a problem, which is interesting because of the fallacy of familiarity. If I go over to Galatians chapter 4, there's a couple of verses I want to show you with regard to this. Galatians chapter 4, I'll read verse 16. The Bible says here, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. And that's kind of what we're looking at here in this picture. Jesus Christ came and he told them the truth. The truth wasn't, or it appears to not have been that big of an issue, as opposed to the fact that it was him who was telling them the truth. That was the thing that they appeared to not like more. If I go to John chapter 8, I'll read 54 through 59. John 8, 54 through 59 the Bible says here, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So here you see an example, Jesus Christ beginning to show the world who he is. And they're not going to accept it. Jesus Christ talking about who he is. He said, I am the son of God. And by the way, Jesus Christ wasn't saying anything out of context with what the entire law and the prophets were prophesying about him in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing. He's revealing the truth of the prophets of the Old Testament in real time. And he says to them, Abraham knew who I was. He saw me. And they said, who are you? Who do you think you are? You're not even 50 years old. And he answered them and he told them, before Abraham was, I am, making him thus equal to God the Father, Jehovah, the self-existent one. And what was their response? Folks, they tried to kill him. It wasn't what he was saying. It was that it was he who was saying it. They were too familiar with him. They thought he, they knew him. Sometimes Jesus Christ, not sometimes, forgive me, all the time, Jesus Christ will come into your life, and he will very clearly state who he is. Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, there's not a lot we as humans can can understand about Jesus Christ or, or God the Father because he describes it as much as he will declare it. Jesus Christ, God the Father, will declare who he is, and by faith we can accept that. And so humanly speaking, I'm sure it was very hard for those who were familiar with Jesus Christ to hear him say that before Abraham was, I am. But if I'm familiar with Jesus Christ and I love God and I'm in God's word, then I'm going to know that according to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, everything that they were prophesying about is happening in real time in the life of Jesus Christ. And so what does it mean to accept Jesus Christ? Well, it doesn't mean that you accept him by evidence and then have faith. It means that you accept him by faith and then there's the evidence. You see this in Hebrews chapter 11. If I can quote it to you, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Most of the time in human reality and human thought, we'd like to say, well, show me the evidence and then I'll make a decision. And within Christianity, the Lord, the Bible says, no, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So before I can ever understand God, before I can ever have a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the first step is not knowledge. The first step is faith, and knowledge comes after, which is a big difference in how we usually—does that mean I can't know things about God? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is I can't know God without faith. It's impossible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so you have this very clear picture, Jesus Christ saying, here's who I am, and faith, which is what the Bible had said had always been needed, what God's word through 
the revelation to the prophets of the Old Testament. That's what they had always said. There's faith that's required here. Faith, Jesus Christ comes and says, all right, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. And faith is required. And it wasn't accepted by those who were most familiar with him during his earthly ministry. If I go to John chapter 8, 54 through 59, that's the one we just read. Jump one chapter over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, 26 through 34. Here's what the Bible says concerning this matter. It says, Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? This is a story of a man that was blind and was given sight. Verse 27, He answered them, I told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? So this is a story. Jesus Christ had healed this man. He he was blind from birth, and the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people, they, they wanted to know how Jesus Christ had done it. So they were just grilling this man over and over and over again. How do you do it? How do you do it? And the man kept telling him how Jesus Christ did it, but they wouldn't believe him. And finally, the man said, listen, I've told you before, you, you, you're not accepting it. And then he said, I told you already, you did not hear. And then he, he tells him this, wherefore would you hear it again? He's like, if I tell you again, will you be his disciples? And that triggered him. They got angry. Verse 28, John chapter 9. Then they revealed him, or excuse me, they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth it well, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not God, he excuse me, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. And dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. So here you see the exact same thing. Here's a man healed of blindness. He's been blind since he's been born. Jesus Christ heals him, and they just absolutely cannot accept it. And he confronts them as a new born-again man. He says, listen, I'm healed. I have sight. This man that you're so offended by, this man that you say isn't anybody, he did it. And no one's ever done it. Uh, you're going to follow him? And they got so angry. Said, no, we have Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. We don't know who this guy is. And the guy said, well, that's even a greater miracle. You don't have any clue who he is, and yet he did this thing. He, I, I'm standing before you living proof of his power. Since the world began, this has never been done, and yet he did it. And then he goes on to make this comment, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And then they insulted him. They said, Thou wast altogether born in sin, and dost thou teach us? And what did they do? They cast him out. They knew him. They knew exactly who he was. And when he became something more, they couldn't take it. They couldn't accept it. And they cast him out. They got rid of him. Now, the story goes on. If you want to know the rest of the story, 
verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am excuse me, for judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not may see, and that they which see might be made blind. So you see this very clear picture. The Lord says, Here's here's someone who wasn't familiar at all. And as soon as he realized who I was, boom, he accepted me. Here's this other group who's very familiar. And now that I'm saying who I am, they can't get past their own sight. And spiritually, that makes them more blind than this guy who just had his eyes opened. Why? Because of the fallacy of familiarity. It was not not that the wisdom was the problem. It's that the wisdom was coming from Jesus. That was the problem. So it wasn't that the... It wasn't that the that it was his home that was the problem. It was that it was their home too. Number one, number two, it was it was not the wisdom that was the problem, but it was the wisdom, the fact that the wisdom was coming from Jesus. That was the problem. Notice that there was anger over where power and truth came from and to who it went. The Pharisees said, "No, we have Moses. We have power." And this blind man said, well, apparently not, because that guy who you don't know and you've never heard of just showed more power than the world's ever seen, and he gave it to me, people you don't even accept. They got so mad at the whole thing, they threw them all out. <laughs> Let's look at the third point. So number one, concerning the fallacy of familiarity, it was not that it was his home that was the problem. It's that it was their home as well. Number two, it was not the wisdom that was the problem. It's the fact that the wisdom was coming from Jesus. That was the bigger problem. And number three, it was not the power that was the problem. It's the unbelief in the power that's restrictive. You see this in Mark 6, 4 through 6. The Bible says, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor in his own, uh, excuse me, but in his own country. In other words, I have shown the world who I am and in other places that's been honored. And here I am in my own home, in my own country, and there's less honor for me here than anywhere else. He says, and among his own kin and in his own house. Now look at what the result of Jesus Christ not being honored because of the fact that they were so familiar with him, they refused to believe on him. Look at what the result of it was. Verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the village teaching. He went round about the villages teaching. Jesus Christ marveled. He had no power amongst the people because the people had no belief in him. Fallacy of familiarity. You say, why don't our churches have any power today? (laughs) Yeah. Too familiar. We're too familiar with him. We've, We've lost our reverence for the Savior. It's the power is not the problem. Jesus Christ is no less powerful now than he has ever had been before. Hmm. The power is not the problem. 
the lack of belief in the power, the, the familiarity with the power is the problem. If we stay in Mark, jump down to chapter 9. Let's read 23 through 24. The Bible says here, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more in him. And it goes on. You see this father. He realizes who Jesus Christ is, and he realizes his own lack. He realizes what he does not have. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible. Jesus Christ has all power given unto him by God the Father. All things are possible from Jesus Christ to men, with the mitigating factor being men's belief. For men to believe, there must be a lack of familiarity. There must be a reverential treatment of who Jesus Christ is. And this man realized that straightway, the Bible says, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. He said, I'll give you every—I'm believing. I'm there. Everything I have to give is there. I'm believing. And then he recognized that there's parts of him that may not be able to get there. And he said, help thou mine unbelief. He said, Lord, get me there. Take me the rest of the way. I'll give you everything I know how to give you. And if you want anything more from me, teach me how to give it, and I'll give that too. What do you think would change in our churches today? What do you think would change within the hearts of Christians today if they said, Lord, I'll give you everything I am and everything I have. And if you want more from me, teach me how to give it, and I'll give you that too. What if we, instead of lowering Christ and making him something we can understand, with these silly things like Jesus Christ Superstar or Jesus Take the Wheel or Jesus is My Hero, all this nonsensical stuff that pulls Jesus down and puts him in a box, what if we reverenced him as he is, the God, the self-existent one, Jehovah, who was with the Lord at the foundations of the world? What if we stopped thinking that we knew him so well? What if... Instead of thinking we know him so well, we take comfort in the fact that he knows us. How would our churches change? What kind of power would we be able to bring to the cause of Christ if we actually were sold out for the cause of Christ? I tell people all the time, Jesus Christ doesn't need to be sold. He just needs people to be sold out for him. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. It was not the power that was the problem. It was the unbelief in the power that restricted the power of Jesus Christ. If I go to one more verse, Mark chapter 11. If we jump over to Mark chapter 11, 20 through 24, the Bible says here, And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. Verse 22 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. 
For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye shall receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. For if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Verse 27 says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. There came to him chief priest, and here we go again, the elders, and they're going to question him again. And they're going to go at him again. It's the same old story again. They're familiar with him. They don't like the power that he's projecting. And the lack of their belief in his power is the restrictive aspect of their own life. When in reality, Jesus Christ says, listen, it's not the power that's the problem. It's your lack of faith in the power that's the problem. One of the things that causes us to not believe is our familiarity. Sometimes church becomes something that is on our schedule. We check it off in our box. We go to church, we do this, we say this, we do this, we go home, we check the box. I went to church, I did the thing. I did the Christian thing. We live however we want, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and we somehow think that putting on a shiny pair of shoes and a collared shirt, going to church for an hour mitigates our desire to live our life however we want the rest of the week. And that's just not true. And I think we got there because we've simply become too familiar, or we think we have become too familiar out of a misguided sense of knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Our culture has pulled him down. Our culture has taken away his divinity and made him nothing more than one of the prophets. And the Bible says that's not true. He is God, Emmanuel, Jehovah, God with us the self-existent one. And we don't know as much about him as we think we do. We know about him what he's told us, and it's a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture. It's a saving picture. But there's so much more. In fact, the very last book, uh, excuse me, the very last chapter in the book of John says that if everything that Jesus Christ did was written down, I'm just going to go read it to you, so that we can understand our fallacy of familiarity for ourselves. John chapter 21 and verse 25. And there are many, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. We don't know as much as we think we know. And we're not as irreplaceable as we think we are. In fact, our job is to preach ourselves, to teach ourselves, to love people so thoroughly that we literally work ourselves right into irrelevance and that they who come behind us can serve the Lord at a much higher cost. If you're a father, your sons and your daughters should be better than you. If you're a mother, your daughters and your sons should be more compassionate than you. If you're a mentor, a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a principal, an employee, those who work for you, those who you have say over, should be better people than you in the end. You should become their friend, if not their student. You don't always inevitably retain the title teacher, master, preacher. These are things the Lord calls you to. 
And he can just as easily have you step down once you've fulfilled the call on your life. Take pride and pleasure and comfort in doing a job so well that those who come after you can do it better than you ever thought you could. Otherwise, everything that you see, your entire vision for the future, dies with you. Jesus Christ is comforting. Jesus Christ, at some level, is familiar, but he knows us way much, much more than we know him. And it's a false, it's a fallacy on our part to think that that familiarity can breed such lackadaisical approach to him. Yes, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, but not in ourself, in Jesus Christ. So the fallacy of familiarity, number one, the problem wasn't that it was their home. It was, excuse me, the problem wasn't that it was his home. It was that it was their home as well. And when he began to say things they didn't like, they didn't approve. Number two, it wasn't the wisdom that was the problem. It was the fact that the wisdom was coming from him, someone they knew. We know who you are. We know who your brothers are. We know who your mother and father are. Your sisters are here with us. Who are these disciples following you? He's just a carpenter. Who do you think you are? He's the son of God. That's who he is. Number three, it was not the power that was the problem. It's the lack of belief in the power that was restrictive. Jesus Christ never has lacked any power, folks. It's only our lack of belief in him that restricts him. What things in your life would change? I'm talking instantly. If you just gave Jesus Christ the recognition of what he actually is, the Lord of your life, recognize the power that is in Jesus Christ and let the things that you can't do anything about be done by him. How many people would be reached for the cause of Christ if we stop fooling around and being so endlessly comfortable and familiar? What if we were a little bit more apprehensive, a little bit more reverential of Jehovah, the self-existent one? I believe that would be an honor to the Lord. I'm going to pray, and I'll be done. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your love. And I pray that in all things you'd help us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, God bless. Talk to you soon.